You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we have the end of 2021 MMA Awards. This is where we will go over multiple topics and multiple categories and give you our number one for each of those categories. These may include Fight of the Year, Fight Card of the Year, Coach of the Year, Comeback of the Year, Newcomer of the Year, Knockout of the Year, Submission of the Year, and many, many more. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, all right, all right. I know it's been just about a month since I did my last podcast, and a lot has been going on, a lot of stuff we can't talk about here, and a lot of stuff we don't have to waste time talking about. So we're going to talk about the end of the year, end of 2021 MMA awards. You know, I this is something I don't believe I did last year for my podcast in terms of MMA. I may have, I'll have to, I would have to go back and check it out, but there's so much that happened in the year of 2021 in terms of mainly the UFC. And that's something else I want to say. This is going to be mainly all based off of UFC, UFC cards. It's not really going to be about Bellator. It's not really going to be about PFL. So I guess maybe you could say the best of the UFC 2021 MMA or 2021 awards or something like that. But, you know, the UFC is the premier organization. It is the best organization in the world. And it is what this is going to be based off of. And it is what gave us some of the best fights. Now, I know Bellator, Ryzen, one championship, PFL, they all had great fights. You know, I, I worked pretty closely with the PFL in this last season with the pre-fight, the post-fight press conferences, interviewing a lot of their fighters. I'm forever grateful for what I was able to do with that promotion. And I hope to come back for the next season. I hope to be back for 2022 the 2022 season of the PFL. And hopefully maybe I can actually make it out there and be at those press conferences and stuff in person, but that's neither here nor there. And that's in the future, which is something we can't control. So let's get this started. I mean, yeah, basically I'll go over the different categories for the end of 2021 MMA awards that I have. I have a male fighter of two, a male fighter of the year, a female fighter of the year, a breakthrough fighter of the year, a UFC newcomer of the year, a knockout of the year, submission of the year, fight of the year, fight card of the year, coach of the year, and comeback of the year. Now, a lot of these categories will have five nominees, and then it will have the the winner, the runner-up, and then the you know second best to that. So um, I will go over the top two, top three in each of these categories. And I'll explain why I have them where I have them and who I really think is the best and who should be the winner or what should be the winner for either of these categories. So, and before we get onto that and I keep interrupting myself, I'm also going to have predictions up for the Cater versus Chikadze fight card, which takes place um, this weekend. So I'll look out for those. I am looking to have those out as soon as I possibly can. It is possible I could do two episodes today, but we'll see. I'm not really sure. This probably is going to be a little bit longer of an episode than I anticipated. So we're going to just get it started. And who better to start with than the male fighter of the year for 2021? Now, I have three nominees, um, three of which are champions. Uh, and I think that I could have seen other people being included in this conversation I could see somebody putting Juliana Pena in this conversation, judging off of her submission victory over Amanda Nunes at UFC 269. But one victory 
And then I believe she had a victory over Sarah McMahon earlier in the year. I can't include her in that upset of the year. I definitely could see it. But, you know, fighter of the year, I can't go there. So this is how it's going to go. So for number three, um, I have Cyril Gunn, who is the interim UFC heavyweight champion. He is coming off that victory over Derek Lewis at, I believe, UFC 260. 65? Yeah. So Cyril Gunn is my third place for male fighter of the year. And I could see some people giving it to him, but, you know, honestly, he's very good. But this this Francis Ngannou fight coming up on the 22nd at UFC 270 is really going to be the one that tells us, you know, where he is in terms of all-time great heavyweights. You know, he does have some of the best footwork in that heavyweight division. He is definitely, without a doubt, the most elusive, evasive, and technical heavyweight that we've ever seen in the UFC. I 100% believe that. I also think he is definitely Francis Ngannou's toughest fight in that heavyweight division and hit the biggest threat to his heavyweight championship. Now, if you go and listen to Ferdinand Lopez and, um, you know, him talking about the sparring footage between Ngannou and uh, Cyril Gunn, he says that, you know, that footage wasn't tampered with. You know, it was, you know, Cyril did get a lot, get the better of Francis in those training session like sessions like it looked like. But some people do believe that it was fabricated and that that didn't tell the whole story, which isn't that kind of the entire situation surrounding the MMA media. But the reason why I included Cyril Gunn is, you know, he's still new to the UFC. He came in the UFC in 2020. But if you look at Cyril Gunn's 2021 resume, in terms of the UFC, I'm going to pull it up really quick. So in 2021, he, like I said, just recently got that third round TKO over Derek Lewis at UFC 265 in the main event in Houston, I believe, to get the um, interim heavyweight championship and lock up his ticket to face Francis Ngannou at UFC 270. Before that, on June 26, 2021, he went to a five-round decision with Alexander Volkov. Now, Gon at that point had only had eight fights in professional MMA. Now, he was a longtime professional kickboxer. He had a decorated career in combat sports, in kickboxing, in Muay Thai. That's 100% true. So he wasn't coming into the UFC just like a newcomer. He had the experience, but he didn't have the experience in MMA. And he fought a guy in Alexander Volkov who had you know, over 42 fights at the time. And Gon just kind of walked in there. It wasn't an easy fight. He had some rounds that I believe you could give to Volkov. I think a lot of people had it tied two to two going into that fifth round. It was a very clean, crisp, technical fight between two of the most technical strikers in that heavyweight division. But Gon is definitely the most technical. He has the fakes, the feints, the footwork, the stutter steps, um, switching stances with uppercuts, from orthodox to southpaw with that rear uppercut, then following up with the straight left hand, switching back to orthodox, stepping back to evade a lot of the opponent's shots, fighting on the outside, looking to get the outside foot. He has a very, very educated jab, and he uses that probably better than anybody. in the Some, some better than almost anybody in the UFC, but definitely the best in that heavyweight division. And then you look at, so he beats Volkov in a, Decently close fight, but it was still pretty clear that Cyril Gon had won that. He dominates Derek Lewis. Lewis just couldn't get anything going. I mean, I don't even think he landed a power shot 
on Gon. Gon was working the body. He was working those front kicks, those knees to the body, sticking him with the jab. That jab was destroying the eye of um, Derek Lewis. And it really was causing a lot of trouble for him. And then you go to the fight with Jerzinho Rosenstrike. And again, Rosenstrike couldn't do much of anything. Cyril Gunn is the master of shutting you down. He plays on the outside. He plays at range. He steps into range when he knows he's not in danger. He gets back out when he knows you might be trying to line up a power shot. He's very good with the footwork, the angles. You know, like I said, switching stances. You know, he'll switch stances to get the outside foot, step back into the other stance so that he cuts you off on that opposite angle so you can't exit. And then he just picks you apart, lands the jab. He's very patient. He doesn't rush anything. The finishes come to him. And he doesn't have a ton of finishes. But not only is this guy one of the best strikers in the UFC and, you know, the best striker in the heavyweight division, he's got submission finishes as well. I mean, he locked up a heel hook in, you know, I believe his second or third fight in the UFC. I mean, this guy can do it all. And, and this fight against Ngannou is really going to tell the story of where he is. But to only have 10 professional MMA fights and in 2021 to defeat the likes of Jerzinho Rosenstrike, Alexander Volkov, and Derek Lewis. I mean, there's not much more you can say. I mean, I could see some people predicting him as the number one, the number one, the the true fighter of the year, true male fighter of the year, but I don't see him as that. I do definitely think he is close to that runner-up, though. So my second place, my runner-up for male fighter of the year is going to be Charles Dobronx Oliveira, the current reigning defending UFC lightweight champion who just defeated Dustin Poirier at UFC 269 via a third-round standing rear-naked choke submission up against the cage with the back control. Um, Oliver deserves, in many cases, to be called the fighter of the year. I could see many people picking him to be the male fighter of the year as well. I mean, you look at this year overall, I mean, he has, let's see. Charles Oliveira. See, I mean, he's got a record of 32 victories and eight defeats, but just in 2021, he had two fights. He fought Michael Chandler at UFC 262 and had a very tough first round for the vacant UFC lightweight championship. It was a tough first round. Chandler pushed forward, um, got out of all the submission attempts and the grappling exchanges. He dropped um, Oliveira with a right, a right hand followed up by a left hook. He, he dropped him. He jumped on him on the ground. Looks like he was going to jump on him and get the TKO in the first round. He hurt him badly. He jumped into the guard. He was able to power out of a lot of the submission attempts, try to land some ground and pound on the top. And it was just a dominant first round for Michael Chandler against Charles Oliveira. And one thing we always said about Oliveira is he has a very hard time coming back from adversity. It is not easy for him. Once he's down, once he's almost out, it's hard for him to come back. And then you look at the second round. They both throw right hands. They both follow up with a left hook. Oliveira's was cleaner. It was crisper. It was more technical. It was shorter. And it got to the target before Chandler's could. There was less windup. It got to the target, cracked him on the chin. He dropped Chandler. Chandler kind of spun out of it, got up, ran against the cage. Oliveira followed him down. Boom, boom, one, two, left hook. Boom, boom, left hook up against the fence twice, jumped on him, and got the TKO right in the beginning of the second round in a first round where he got completely dominated in. And he wins that interim title. He he, or I'm sorry, he wins the undisputed title after Khabib vacates it, which it should have been Poirier versus Oliveira at that point. But with Chandler coming into the UFC in 2021 and having that dominant first round finish over Dan Hooker, 
you know, he, he earned that shot and, you know, it didn't work out for him, but absolutely fantastic win for Oliveira. He came back for from adversity. And then just recently on December 11th at UFC 269, Oliveira comes in against Dustin Poirier. A lot of people picked against Oliveira in that fight. A lot of people believed that Oliveira was not going to be able to beat Poirier, that Poirier was the best lightweight in the world, that Poirier just had the pace, the pressure, and everything to stop Oliveira in his tracks. And I did believe that at first, but if you go back and listen to my last podcast where I broke down that fight, you know, before the fight, I said that those long-range attacks from Oliveira are going to be a lot of trouble for Poirier. That front kick to the body, those knees off of the frame in the clinch where you'll frame off the neck and frame off the shoulder and drive those knees to the body. When Poirier tries to go for that switch stance overhand right, as he starts to switch, as long as Oliveira could use that jab and use that long range and that long guard to, you know, stifle the shoulder and allow, not allow for that overhand to come over and give him enough space and then use that to tie him up and bring him back in for the knees, the elbows, the teep kicks to the body, the push kicks to the body. All that body work was chewing up Poirier. And yeah, Poirier did drop Oliveira at a point with a right hook, jumped on him, tried to get him up against the cage. Oliveira was able to keep his hands up. He was able to play around. But the thing that impressed me the most in that fight was that Oliveira stood toe-to-toe with Poirier. He pushed him back. He didn't allow Poirier to bully him in the octagon. He was like, okay, you want to get into a firefight? You want to stand toe-to-toe? He did it, and he out-techniqued Dustin Poirier. He he was more technical. He played it safer. His his shots were a lot cleaner. There was a lot less wind up. And those front kicks, those jabs, the left hooks, the left hooks to the body, the one twos, you know, the one two, pull two, right hand, right uppercut, right hand slip, right uppercut. As Poirier tries to switch stance, frame off, uppercut, knee to the body, push away, teep kick, inside and outside low kicks, just working him and pushing him backwards. The second round, Poirier. Um, was able to get out of like a submission attempt, and then he ended up on his back. Oliveira just stayed in the guard and worked him in the guard with some vicious elbows from the top with the ground and pound, but he wasn't able to lock up the submissions, you know, but he just dominated because Poirier sat on the bottom in that body triangle, and that's a defensive position. There's no offense you're going to be able to get done from that... um, that position from that body triangle from the bottom. You can't get any offense. You have to break the body triangle, get your feet on the hips, work to get to a shrimp position, and then work your way up with the over-under and then circle back off the cage. You have to get out of that body triangle from the bottom. When you're in a body triangle from the bottom, it is a completely defensive position. There is no offense you're going to be able to get off. And, you know, you went into, we went into that third round. Poirier overcommitted on a left hand, straight left. Oliveira ducked it, got underneath it, shucked him forward, got to the back, locked up the um, back control, jumped on him, and locked up the rear naked choke and got the tap. I mean, it was a pretty flawless performance. There was a little bit of adversity that Oliveira had to go through, but, you know, he was able to pass that with flying colors, and that's something that that's something that I don't think a lot of people saw. I thought that Oliveira was going to win. I thought it was going to be a pretty decisive victory for him. And I did pick him to get a standing rear naked choke finish in that fight. But, you know, I didn't expect him to um, 
walk forward and play fire with fire with Poirier and come out on top. So he is my runner up for male fighter of the year, but my number one, my male fighter of the year coached under Trevor Whitman is Kamaru Usman. Usman is my male fighter of the year. And I mean, how could you pick anybody else? Honestly, I'm not a huge Kamaru Usman fan. Um, I am a bigger fan of him now because I think that his game has evolved the leaps and bounds from when it, where, when it, from where it was when he originally became the welterweight champion. His striking is so much better. His movement is better. You know, it's his striking still isn't the best, but man, he's got power in those hands and he's not afraid to show it. And if the striking isn't working, he can fall back on that wrestling background that got him so much success earlier, early in his career. But you look at Usman and, you know, he's 20 and one overall in professional MMA, but you look at 2021. I mean, he had that knockout victory over Gilbert Burns at UFC 258. I mean, dropped him with a jab from Southpaw and hurt him after he got almost rocked and fin- rocked and hurt badly in that first round with that overhand right over the orthodox jab. But he switched Southpaw that negated the overhand of Gilbert Burns and that power jab from which was formerly the power rear hand was just pop, pop, pop. And he finally just dropped him and finished him off in a fight with against a former teammate in a fight that um, a lot of people believed was going to be a horrible fight for him. And then you go at the UFC 261, Usman versus Masvidal 2. And Masvidal just couldn't really get much of anything done. He was trying to counter a lot of the jabs or the crosses with the check hook. And um, that was his weapon of choice was to counter with the check hook, you know, over the right hand of Usman. And it wasn't really working too well for him. And, um, you know, he kind of dominated that fight until he stepped into orthodox. Boom. Pulled down the pulled down the rear hand. When he went for that check hook, it opened up the lane for that power cross. It just cleaned Masvidal's clock. Beautiful right hand. Knocked him out cold. Masvidal bounced off the back of Kamaru Usman. He jumped on him. And got the TKO. So not only did he get a knockout against a man who had never been knocked out, but he beat a man who he dominated pretty decisively in the first fight. But he beat him again, and he beat him by knockout, and he beat him quickly. It was in the second round. You know, he he got a knockout against a man who had never been knocked out in, like, almost 50 fights. And, you know, he beat him once by decision, came back, beat him quicker the second time, and beat him by knockout. Amazing performance there. And then the fight against Colby Covington, he looked great early on. He was dropping Covington with that beautiful check left hook. He caught him coming in, dropped him twice, I believe, in the first round. Um, Won the first two rounds pretty decisively. Covington came back and fought his way in, hurt Usman. It was a back-and-forth battle. In my opinion, I believe that Covington should have won that fight. I think it was three rounds to two, but I could see due to the knockdowns and due to the damage that Usman caused early, it could sway the judges to give him that fight. I'm not mad that Usman won, but I did believe that Covington did enough to steal it or for it to be a draw. Um, But, you know, based on the knockdowns early in that fight, which it was a phenomenal fight, the first fight at UFC 245 was phenomenal, and so was this one. But, you know, Usman got the win. He got the decision in one of his toughest fights, again, against one of his biggest rivals, and he's still the champ. So wins over Gilbert Burns and Jorge Masvidal by finish, and then another decision victory, and unanimous decision victory over Colby Covington at UFC 268. So my male fighter of the year for 2021 is the welterweight champion of the world, the Nigerian nightmare, Kamaru Usman. 
Now, my female fighter of the year, I don't have any nominees because it's only going to be one girl, and that is Thug Rose Namajunas, the UFC strawweight champion. Um, there's no other choice for female fighter of the year. And I know people are going to say, well, Juliana Pena just beat Amanda Nunes. You know, she beat Sarah McMahon earlier in the year. Yeah, that's fine. But I still don't think you can consider her as the female fighter of the year. You know, Rose came in this year and um, she defeated Wei Li Zhang twice. Or I'm sorry, Zhang Wei Li. She beat her twice. And here, let's see. Let me see if I can pull it up. Um, considering the fact that this doesn't want to load correctly. Yeah, so this year, yeah, she beat Zhang Weili back-to-back. The first one at UFC 261, which we just talked about. A beautifully a beautifully timed lead left head kick. Drops Zhang Weili in the first round. Jumps on top of her, gets the finish. Shades of UFC 217, where she knocked out Joanna Yonjacek in the first round in a fight that a lot of people thought she was going to get ran through. A lot of people believe that Rose was going to get ran through against Zhang Weili. And then she comes back and she fights Zhang Weili at UFC 268. Goes to a five-round decision, but it's a pretty clear-cut three-round-to-two decision for the champion in Rose Namajunas. You look at the Joanna Yonjacek fights with Rose. First fight, beautiful, quick knockout. Flawless victory. First fight with Zhang Weili. Beautiful knockout, flawless victory. Second fight, five-round war, back and forth. But Rose knows how to knows how to seal those rounds, knows how to use her wrestling in order to seal those rounds at the end of it to go along with her beautiful footwork, her beautiful timing, her beautiful angles. You know, and there was points where Zhang Weili did hurt Rose Namajunas in that second fight. You know, Rose has always had trouble with those inside and outside low kicks, which are going to slow down the in and out movement, the lateral movement, and then have you be there for the power shots. And Rose did get hit with a lot of clean shots, but she did enough to get the job done. I believe she definitely did deserve to win that decision three rounds to two. And it was a great fight. And she showed that that victory over Zhang wasn't a fluke the first time. It wasn't just a lucky kick. She's a better overall fighter. And she's the best female fighter in the world, in my opinion. So I think it's pretty clear cut that Rose Namajunas is the female fighter of the year for 2021. Again, I could see how some people would give it to Juliana Pena. But I just don't see her having a strong enough resume. Even though she beat Nunes, the so-called female MMA pound-for-pound goat, you know, Rose beat, I wouldn't say tougher competition, but she had two fights against the toughest girl in that weight class at 115 pounds. If, you know, Pena had beat Nunes twice, then, you know, I could maybe, I could definitely see her getting the nod for female fighter of the year, but it has to go to Rose Namajunas. So my pick for female fighter of the year is Thug Rose Namajunas. All right, let's move to the next category. So following male and female fighter of the year, we have breakthrough fighter of the year for 2021. And I've got five nominees here. Um, I'm going to go in a jumbled up order because the way I listed them here on this list, it's more of an in-order thing. But we've got Cyril Gan. We've got Giga Chikadze, who has a fight this weekend against Kelvin Cater. We've got Sean Brady who's undefeated, just coming off that huge victory over Michael Chiesa. We've got 
Iron Michael Chandler, and who came over from Bellator with that big first-round KO against uh, Dan Hooker at UFC 257. And then we've got Hamzat Borz Chimaev, which you don't, you don't really have to say much about him. He smashed everybody. Smash everybody. They not line them up. Smash everybody. So, honestly, this is kind of a tough one to pick. Um, I think that you could very easily give it to Giga Chikadze because of that victory he had over Edson Barbosa. And although it was close at some points, and, you know, Barbosa may have won one round or at least made it competitive, Giga did look amazing. His switch kick from Southpaw, the left head kick, and then the right low kicks from Orthodox, you know, just in the, the beautiful boxing combinations. He was even able to outbox um, Edson a little bit, but I would say Edson definitely had an advantage in terms of the boxing, you know, for the most part in that fight. Um, you know, like we said, Sean Brady undefeated. What is he, 13 and 14 and 0 now, 15 and 0? Let's see. Sean Brady. Last fight. So he beat Jake Matthews via submission at UFC 259 in March. Um, looked really good in that fight. Had a little bit of a close first round. He takes a little bit of time to get into that fight. You know, to get into fights, he takes a little bit of time to get his rhythm and get everything going. And then he had that fight against Kiesa. And, you know, he looked good. The grappling was good. The takedowns, the top control but, you know, once Kiesa was able to get up on the feet, Kiesa was out striking Sean Brady, which is something I don't think a lot of people thought was going to happen. But the long range, the reach, and the distance of Kiesa, his timing on the one-twos, the straights, the jabs, they were giving Brady a lot of problems. And, you know, towards that third round, you know, he was getting, you know, pieced up on the feet, and then he got hip-tossed and controlled on the top for a little bit. And if it was a five-round fight, Kiesa maybe would have finished him, but Brady did enough to score the victory. He was very strong. He was able to uh, tie up Kiesa, work him up against the fence, tie up his legs in that triangle leg mount, and, um, you know, work to get those takedowns and the top control and the top pressure and work for those submissions. He was able to do all of that, and, uh, you know, he was able to get the victory. So it's it's going to be interesting to see where Brady goes from here. He's 15-0. and 0. He just defeated, I think, the number nine-ranked Kiesa in November. So... He's got a big fight on the horizon for sure. And then, you know, continuing down the list, I mean, like I said, Giga Chikadze, Cyril Gaon, I mean, you can easily give it to him. I mean, look at his victories he had this year. I mean, Alexander Volkov, Jerzinho Rosenstrike, and then beating Derek Lewis by TKO in the third round to claim the interim heavyweight championship. You've got Hamzat Chemaev, which, you know, Chemaev comes in against Li Jingliang in a fight that a lot of people believed like, yeah, he probably will be able to win, but it's going to be a tough one. And if he gets cracked on the chin, it's going to be over because Jingliang's got that power that can put just about anybody out in that division. And he overshoots on a right hand, shoots underneath, gets the double leg takedown, picks him up, carries him over to Dana White in the body lock position. Um, actually, what he did is he shot a double. He worked his way to the back got to the back control, lifted him up, tried to trip out the legs, carried him over to Dana White, took him down, got his back, you know, up against the cage with that Dagestani handcuff, you know, the, the single leg, leg lace, you know, riding him, controlling him, punching him, taking his back, beating him up and locking up the rear naked choke and choking him unconscious in the first round without really taking any sense of damage. Jemayev's a beast. 
you know, 11 and 0 now, I believe, or 10 and 0, and a huge fight on the horizon for him, probably against a former title challenger in Gilbert Burns next, but we'll have to see if the UFC actually makes that fight. And then, like we said, Michael Chandler, you know, and the picks for these were very, very hard. You know, you could, you could give breakthrough fighter of the year to a lot of people, but honestly, in my opinion, let me see. I just want to make sure that I'm remembering this right. Because, yeah, no, because Chemayev was gone for a long time. He was very active. And then, so in 2020, in the UFC, he beat John Phillips by submission, beat Reese McGee by KO, and then beat Gerald Mearshart by KO. From July to September, he fought three times, twice in 10 days. And dominant, dominant victories. And then he had that battle with COVID. He almost died. He was gone for over a year, comes back against Jing Liang and submits him in three minutes and 16 seconds of the first round at UFC 267. So that was a big test for Chimaev, and he passed it with flying colors. But honestly, um, for fight a breakthrough fighter of the year, if Chimaev would have fought one more time, I think you could have given it to Chimaev. I definitely do. But in my opinion, there's only one winner here. I would say runner-up is probably Cyril Gan. Third place would go to Chemayev. And then I think number one, it's Iron Michael Chandler, baby. The breakthrough fighter of the year for 2021 is Iron Michael Chandler. He comes into the UFC against Dan Hooker in his debut, which is not an easy fight. That's a tough, tough matchup for a guy like Chandler who's against a long, rangy striker like Dan Hooker with those knees up the middle, those calf kicks. And he comes in, has a little bit of trouble in the beginning, then just starts teep kicking him, pushing him back. Landing the right hand over the jab, following with the left hook. Steps forward into southpaw, that cross to the body. Boom, lands a left hook on the chin. Drops uh, Dan Hooker like a gunshot went off in his face. Jumps on him and gets that first round TKO. So huge victory. Then he goes in, fights Charles Oliveira in his second UFC fight for the vacant UFC lightweight championship. Not only, yes, he lost the fight, but he hurt Charles Oliveira. He drops him, almost TKOs him in the first round. If he would have let him up after he dropped him and he saw that Oliveira had his wits about him, if he would have let him up and continued instead of trying to play on the ground, I believe that Chandler would have knocked him out and we would be having a completely different year for the UFC. And, you know, I think things would be so different. But he obviously got caught with that left hook in the second round and lost. And then you look at his last fight against Mike or against Justin Gaethje at UFC 268. That's most people's fight of the year. That was violence for 15 minutes. Chandler coming in, landing a 1-2 on Gaethje, hurting him severely. Gaethje landing those low kicks. Chandler coming back with low kicks of his own, countering the low kicks with the 1-2s, the 1-2-3, the hook to the body. You know, Chandler going for a double leg takedown. Gaethje rolling out of it and reversing it in midair to get to the top position. Gaethje hitting him with that beautiful uppercut in the second round and dropping him, almost finishing him off. And then Gaethje, or Chandler coming back, getting in the face and walking down. Gaethje landing the one-two on his chin, stumbling him. I mean, those guys went to war for 15 full minutes. And based on that, Michael Chandler, Iron Michael Chandler, is my breakthrough fighter of the year for 2021. Making his debut, beating Dan Hooker almost finishing Charles Oliveira and then going to war with Justin Gaethje in just three fights in the UFC. You can't pick a better breakthrough fighter of the year of 2021 than Iron Michael Chandler. Up next, we're going to go to the next award, which in my opinion is, or not in my opinion, but which is going to be 
the UFC Newcomer of the Year. So this one only has three nominees because there weren't a ton of debuts this year. Um, there were some, but there weren't a ton, and I wanted to pick the best of the best. So at number three, I've got Patty the Batty Pimblet. You know, he came into the UFC. He had a lot of hype around him, a lot of hype out in Europe, a lot of hype in Ireland, a lot of hype all around the world for being, you know, could be the next Conor McGregor, you know, the, the Patty the Batty. He had such a huge following. Comes into the UFC against Luigi Vendramini from Factory X under coach Mark Montoya. And, you know, he has to come through adversity. He gets caught with a beautiful left hook off of an inside low kick, checks the chin, gets taken down, works his way back up to the feet. Pushes forward, keeps the hands low, you know, in and out, in and out. Low kicks, boom, boom. Caught him with a one-two uppercut right hand. Pushes him against the fence, lands some combinations, lands a right hook on the chin, and gets the first-round TKO or first-round knockout after almost getting finished himself after eating that brutal left hook. Um, I believe his next fight may be against Donald, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, but all right. Sorry, guys. We got cut off, but... Like I said, my first nominee for UFC Newcomer of the Year has to be Patty the Batty Pimblet. Up next is a glory kickboxing world champion, a kickboxing standout, a man who has two victories over Israel Adesanya in kickboxing and is now chasing him and his middleweight title in the UFC. He got a first or a second round flying knee knockout victory in his UFC debut against Andres Michalaitis. That is Alex Pohatan Pereira. Um, man, I know he only had one fight in the UFC in this in 2021. And I know he had a, you know, it was it wasn't against the greatest of opposition. But this man has a lot of hype. He has two victories over the middleweight champion in kickboxing. He's coming into the UFC to chase Israel Adesanya. Alex Pereira is a monster. He's got the best left hook. I think in all of combat sports, one of the best left hooks. I don't know if you can say the best if we're comparing boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, you know, MMA, but he's got one of the best left hooks in the game. And Alex Pohatan Pereira is on the brink of a huge fight. I believe he has another fight announced. Um, I believe here, hold on. Next fight. He's fighting Bruno Silva, and Bruno Silva has just came off of a huge victory in his last fight. Uh, Silva's a, a huge prospect in that division as well, and I believe they're going to be on the March 12th UFC fight night. So Pereira versus Bruno Silva is coming up in March. You know, he wins that fight. He's definitely going to get a ranked opponent, and it's just off to the races from there. But the thing that everybody wants to see is Pereira versus Adesanya in the UFC. The story behind it, the kickboxing background, the other fights they had in kickboxing. It's just everything you could ask for for the UFC. And I know the UFC is banking hard on Pereira to get that title shot and have Israel Adesanya still be the middleweight champion, go and defeat Robert Whitaker, which isn't an easy task, at UFC 271, and then go from there. So my runner-up for UFC Newcomer of the Year is, well, I don't even know runner-up. I'm just going off on list because I haven't ranked these yet. And then my other one, obviously, is going to be Michael Chandler. I mean, and we just kind of talked about him and the reason why he won Breakthrough Fighter of the Year, you know, in the last award that we did. It's basically the same thing. I mean, UFC newcomer comes in, beats Dan Hooker via first-round KO 
a guy who went to war with the former interim lightweight champion and the man who has two victories over Conor McGregor and Dustin the Diamond Poirier. He comes in and shuts his lights out, almost shuts the lights out on the current reigning defending UFC lightweight champion and Charles Oliveira. If he would have let him up, he probably would have finished him. And then he goes to war with one of the most durable and violent fighters in the UFC and Justin Gaethje in a fight that we've always wanted to see. Chandler versus Gaethje is a fight that everybody has wanted to see. And that's the reason why he's listed as a UFC newcomer because he also made his debut this year. But when it comes to who I believe should win UFC newcomer of the year, it's tough. It's tough. Um, Man. All right. So my runner-up for UFC newcomer of the year Oh, I can't, I can't decide between the two that I have in my head. Like two out of these three, I could definitely see winning, but I got to go with Chandler. I think Michael Chandler is going to be also your UFC newcomer of the year. Um, and then the runner up would be Alex Pereira. And then the third place would be Patty Pimblett. So number one, the, the winner for UFC newcomer of the year is going to be Michael Chandler. Just based off of the fights he had, the entertaining fights, the win over Dan Hooker, almost beating the champion, who's the the guy who's the champion in the lightweight division, and then going to war with. All right, sorry about that again, but you know he went to war with Justin Gaethje, who, as we said, is one of the most durable, one of the most violent, and one of the most dangerous fighters in the UFC and in that lightweight division. And it might be the guy who goes on to defeat Charles Oliveira. It might be Charles Oliveira's Charles Oliveira's next fight. We might get Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje next. If not, we'll get Charles Oliveira versus the notorious Conor McGregor because I know Oliveira has been talking a lot about giving McGregor a title shot. You know, he wants that red panty night. He wants that to go on. That's what he wants. He wants the red panty night for himself, which can you blame him? Anybody who gets offered a fight against Conor McGregor is going to take it. And that's just the end of the story. So UFC newcomer of the year for 2021, Michael Chandler, the runner up, Alex Pohatan Pereira, third place for the UFC newcomer of the year, Patty the Batty Pimblet. All right. Now we get to one of my favorite awards and one of my favorite section of nominees, and that is the UFC knockout of the year for 2021. So I have these in order and um, I might change my mind because I'm looking at this list and I'm kind of like, man, I could definitely see number one being something different. But uh, one of the knockouts I have for for, uh, the nominations is Lerone Murphy versus Makwan Amir Khani from UFC 264. And mainly because you watch the fight and in the first round, Lerone Murphy got completely out grappled and outclassed and out wrestled in that first round. Taken down, controlled, couldn't get up. It was over with. Once he got taken to the ground by Amir Khani, who's a phenomenal Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist, he was taken down and like that was it. You know, he couldn't get up. And then you go to the second round, you see Amir Khani reach for the takedown. Lerone Murphy counters with a switch knee, lands that knee right on the chin, and Amir Khani folds like an accordion and is out cold. Shoots a takedown, runs right into the counter knee, and that's it. And Murphy remains undefeated. So not only, this guy's one of the brightest prospects in the UFC. And that's one of the awards I wish I would have had is like the best prospects, and I didn't put that in here, so that's my fault. But Lerone Murphy defeating Makwan Amir Khani with that beautiful, um, you know, counter knee knockout was um, just the best thing you could ever ask for. 
and he remains undefeated. Up next, we've got Kamaru Usman's knockout over Jorge Masvidal at UFC 261. Just a beautiful counter right hand in, you know, in between the, the check left hook of Masvidal. Lands on the chin. His head snaps. It hits off the shoulder of Usman. You see all those pictures with the sweat flying off of Masvidal's head and him just getting cracked on the jaw. Dropped, he jumps on him, and he gets the TKO victory. So not only did he knock out Masvidal in the rematch, he made it a more decisive victory after he just, Masvidal was saying he just crotch-snipped him for five rounds. Now he knocked him out in the, I believe it was the second, it was the first round, right? It was the first or second round. He knocks him out, um, finishes him off, decisive victory. Um, you know, knocks out a guy who's never been knocked out, so you have to include it. It was a beautiful shot and a beautiful knockout. Up next, we've got Yuri Prohaska's spinning back elbow knockout over Dominic Reyes from UFC Fight Night in May of 2021. That fight was brutal. It was a beautiful fight. They went back and forth. Reyes hurt Prohaska. Prohaska put a lot of pressure on Reyes, was pushing him back, landing straight lefts, landing right hands, switching stances, using a lot of angles, you know, using a lot of unorthodox front kicks, you know, front kicks to the body, one-twos, you know, using that samurai karate-style stance. Reyes trying to come in, land the kicks to the body, land the check right hook, the straight left, the left hand to the right hook, you know, Reyes getting into a grappling exchange, you know, Prohaska kind of getting out of it, but then getting countered with an up kick and basically knocked out from the top when uh, Reyes was on the bottom on his back and then being able to scramble out of a position. And, um, you know, they got back up to the feet. Reyes was, or uh, I'm sorry, Prohaska was able to survive. He pushes Reyes up against the cage. He holds the range. Boom, boom. Fakes the straight left. Dominic tries to get off on uh, that back foot, get that back foot cage angle that he likes to use to land that straight left on all of his opponents. You saw him use the same type of angle against uh, Chris Weidman. He used the same angle when he set up the knockout with Ovin St. Peru, where he fades off to his rear side, gets that little, um, let, uh, gets off on that angle, and then you walk right into the straight left. He tries to set up that angle, but Ray or uh, Prohaska goes through with that spinning back elbow, lands right on the chin, knocks him out cold. Reyes' his head and neck snap off the mat, and that was it. A brutal fight. Um, the Viking mentality and samurai mentality of Yuri Prohaska, um, Denisa showcased tenfold and uh Prohaska gets a beautiful knockout that had to be in the list for knockout of the year 100% and he's definitely going to be going up against Glover Teixeira for that light heavyweight championship in his next fight whenever that may be definitely coming up in 2022 um up next you've got Corey Sandhagen's beautiful flying knee knockout over Frankie Edgar landed a beautiful in tried to go with an inside low kick circled off to his rear side Walked Frankie Edgar into it, circled, moved laterally, boom, flying knee, one hitter, quitter. Knocked out cold, Frankie Edgar falls, face plants, face down, looked like it killed him with one shot. Just a sniper shot from Corey Sandhagen. And before that, he was coming off of that spinning wheel kick KO of uh, Magic Marlon Morais. So phenomenal knockout there. I could see Sandhagen and Frankie Edgar, that flying knee being everybody's number one knockout of the year. 100% I could see that being the KO of the year. But honestly, my knockout of the year, it goes to a fight on the undercard, goes to a guy fighting out of Chicago, Illinois. I believe a guy who is also undefeated in Ignacio Bahamondes versus Roosevelt Roberts. The beautiful spinning wheel kick KO 
Uh, beautifully timed, beautifully executed, lands that spinning wheel kick on the chin of Roosevelt Roberts, drops him, and gets the finish. 100% clean, spinning back kick KO, wheel kick, amazing. And he looked good up to that point as well. He, Ignacio Bahamondes, I believe he trains out of Chicago Fight Team, and he might also train out of another gym out here. I think he trains with Bilal Muhammad, um, Horacio, and um, a couple other people out here from this area, but a beautiful spinning wheel kick KO. You look at his fight where he got that front kick KO on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series. Bahamondes is a huge prospect in his division and a big prospect for the year of 2022 to watch out for. Look for Ignacio Bahamondes to make some waves this year in the UFC, but that has to be the number one knockout of the year with that beautiful spinning wheel kick. I believe it was at the end of the fight too. Like it was about to go to decision and he just times it, circles Roosevelt Roberts into that wheel kick, cracks him on the chin, and he just folds completely, just knocked unconscious. So um, my runner-up for knockout of the year, I'm going to go – so third place, I'm going to go Corey Sandhagen and Frankie Edgar. I'm going to switch it up here. I think the the standard bearer for KO of the year, Sandhagen versus Edgar. The runner-up, Prohaska versus Reyes, just because of how brutal it was and the way that Reyes just fell on his neck and his head after that elbow – and that war that it was up until then. And then the number one, the winner for knockout of the year, 2021 knockout of the year, Ignacio Bahamonde's spinning wheel kick KO over Roosevelt Roberts. All right. Up next, we're going to go to submission of the year. We're flying through this list a little bit quicker than I thought. So submission of the year, I actually have six, uh, six on this list for what could be considered submission of the year. So, I've got Brandon Moreno submitting Davison Figueredo at UFC 263. You know, he was he was piecing him up for the entirety of the fight. It was a dominant performance after that first fight where they had the draw and it was back and forth. But some people believe Moreno did enough to win. Some people believe Figueredo did enough to win, but it was a majority draw. Um, so, so Figueredo kept the title, but the jab and the left hook and the one-two lead high kicks of Brandon Moreno, the jab was working so well. He timed... Figueredo stepping in with a jab, dropped him, jumped on him, took his back, and got the rear naked choke in one of the most feel-good title victories in the history of the UFC. So Brandon Moreno versus Davison Figueredo, where, where Moreno became the new UFC flyweight champion in a dominant performance that has to be included in submission of the year. Um, up next, we've got Glover Teixeira versus Jan Blahovich. You know, in a fight where Glover was kind of getting hurt early in the fight, he got rocked by Blahovich a, a few times. He survived. He caught Blahovich with a left hook as they both threw their combinations. He hurt him. Um, he shot in for a takedown against the cage. Blahovich couldn't do anything to stop it. Once he got to the back, it was all over. Landed some ground and pound, flattened him out, locked up the choke, and got the submission. In a fight where a lot of people believed Glover Teixeira had no shot. After Blahovich's victory over Israel Adesanya, where a lot of people thought Adesanya was going to defeat him, Nobody believed that Glover Teixeira was going to win the title, much less win the title at how old is he? 47, 47 years old. He comes in and he wins the UFC light heavyweight championship, defeats Jan Blahovich, and now is looking to face Yuri Prohaska in his next fight. That was definitely one of the most feel good moments of the year, without a doubt. And, um, you know, a big win for Glover Teixeira, who I said, what is he? Okay, he's 42, not 47. So my apologies to any fan of uh, Glover Teixeira, but 42 years old, he wins the title and definitely his last shot at trying to get the gold and he does it via submission. So that is definitely on the list as well. 
You've got Vicente Luque's Darce Choke submission over Michael Chiesa. I believe that was in the first round. Um, Chiesa tried to go for a arm bar after he was, you know, taking him down, dominating him on the ground, dominating in the top position, almost locked up a rear naked choke. It didn't work. He went for the arm bar. Luque was able to get out of it and then use the underhook to shoot underneath the armpit in the head, lock up the Darce choke, drag um, Chiesa down you know, flip him over and lock up that Darce Choke submission on one of the best submission artists in all of the UFC's, in all of the UFC, and definitely in the UFC's welterweight division. A lot of people believed that if Kiesa was going to win that fight, it was going to be by submission. But I said, do not be surprised if Vicente Luque locks up a Darce Choke and submits Michael Kiesa, and that's what he did. He was able to avoid the armbar. He, you know, circled his way out, and he used the momentum of you know, breaking that grip from the armbar to shoot underneath the arm and the neck, the armpit and the neck, and then he locked up the Darce choke, and once it was locked up, that was it. A submission victory for Vicente Luque over somebody who nobody really believed was gonna he was going to be able to submit. So that definitely has to be included in submission of the year. I could see people including the Luque and Tyron Woodley fight, but I think the Kiesa one is a lot more impressive. So we did Brandon Moreno. We did Glover Teixeira, Vicente Luque. We've got Anthony Hernandez submitting Hadolfo Vieira at UFC 258. I think for him to win by submission, it was like a plus 1,100, plus 1,500, something crazy. It was the biggest betting upset on the card, one of the biggest betting upsets in the history of the UFC. And not only did he submit the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt and one of the most decorated Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu artists in the world and one of the best Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu artists in all of mixed martial arts, but he did it after surviving on the ground, surviving a hell of a first round after getting gr out grappled, out wrestled, and he just was able to survive. He tired him out, the big muscle heavy frame of Adolfo Vieira, the black belt hunter. He tied him out, tired him out, landed some beautiful combinations on the feet, landing the one, one, two, landing the jab cross, hurt him. He jumped in to shoot a takedown, but Adolfo Vieira had no, had no gas anymore. He locked up that, uh, head and arm guillotine. He shot that knee through, shot that knee across the, across the belly, the opposite foot to the opposite hip, locked up that guillotine choke and got the tap on the decorated Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. That was definitely the biggest submission upset of the year and could definitely be your winner for submission of the year. You've got Andre Muniz snapping the arm of Jacare Souza at UFC 262, kind of locking him in a key lock position during a scramble. And you just heard the arm just snap. You heard it just you heard it crack. You heard the bone snap in half. And he submitted a guy who I don't believe has ever been submitted in, in mixed martial arts. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But the way he did it, he didn't get him to tap. He broke his arm and and defeated the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist, one of the most decorated Brazilian jiu-jitsu artists in the entire world. And he did it when he's kind of a newcomer to the UFC. Muniz hasn't been around that long. He's a decorated Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt as well. But to defeat Jacare Souza and to do it by breaking his arm, that has to be included in submission of the year. And that took place at UFC 262. And then also you've got to include Juliana Pena's rear naked choke submission over the UFC, the former UFC women's bantamweight, cha or bantamweight champion in Amanda the Lioness Nunes at UFC 269. Was able to take a lot of her shots early in the fight land the jab, land the right hand, piece her up with that jab, stop her from being able to counter, walk her down, you know, fight her with her ego, make her quit, jump on her back, and lock up the submission and get the tap. So this is a tough one to pick. So 
I'm going to go with three, which is like the standard bearer for submission of the year, then the runner-up, then the winner. So the standard bearer for submission of the year, in my opinion, is going to be... Ooh, man. <laughs> I'm going to go with Vicente Luque over Michael Chiesa. No, no, you know what? You know what? I'll go with Glover Teixeira over Jan Blahovic just because of how good of a feel-good moment it was. So number three is Glover Teixeira versus Jan Blahovic at UFC 267 and him becoming the UFC light heavyweight champion at 42 years old in a fight that nobody really believed he was going to win. My runner-up for submission of the year is going to be Andre Muniz versus Jacare Souza at UFC 262. Just because of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu background of Jacare, him snapping the arm of Jacare, kind of being a newcomer to the UFC, but also a decorated Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist, but nobody expected him to not only submit Jacare, but to break his arm and get a decisive dominant submission victory over, like I said, the best, one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu artists in the world and definitely one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu artists in MMA. But my number one, my winner for the 2021 submission of the year has to go to Anthony Hernandez, Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, submitting Hadolfo Vieira with that Armin guillotine choke. It was such a huge upset. It was the one of the upsets of the year besides Pena and Nunes, um, a guy who people thought was just going to get ran through. He survived the grappling of, of uh, Adolfo Vieira, the black belt hunter, early on. He was able to survive on the ground. He was able to defend the submission attempts, defend the ground and pound, defend that, tire him out, land heavy shots on the feet, walk him down, get him to shoot a takedown. And then not only that, but he submits the guy who everybody thought he was going to get submitted by. Everybody believed that Adolfo Vieira was just going to take her Anthony Hernandez down, submit him, and that would be the end of it. But not only then did that not happen, he survived it. He got back up to the feet. He walked him down on the feet, landed beautiful combinations, tired out Vieira. Vieira was basically gasping for air. He shot a sloppy takedown. Vieira had locked up that arm in guillotine choke, got that hip, foot around the opposite hip, squeezed it, and got the tap. That is your winner for submission of the year. Anthony Hernandez submitting Adolfo Vieira via Armin Guillotine Choke at UFC 258 is your 2021 submission of the year. Up next, we're going to go over some of everybody's favorite, you know, concept, everybody's favorite award, everybody's most debated. It's the fight of the year for 2021. Now, I have one that's on a fight night. And the rest are on the main card of pay-per-views. So we've got five nominees in no particular order. But like I originally wrote these to be in a particular order. But looking at the list now, it could be changing. And I could even change my winner for fight of the year. But I think I got it pretty down pat. So number five, I've got Usman versus Covington 2 from UFC 268. I mean, what, what more can you say? It was a phenomenal fight. The way it started where it looked like Usman was going to run through Colby Covington, he drops him twice, um, once with that check right hook, another time I believe with a right hand, and then followed up with a left hook up against the cage. One time he face plants, it looks like he's about to finish him. Colby comes back. It's it's an easy first two rounds for uh, Kamaru Usman. He ran through, probably got a 10-8 in the first round when he dropped him. I believe it was in the first round. And then Covington came back, and he was landing beautiful uppercuts Straight lefts, right hook, straight left, right uppercut, left high kicks, you know, trying to mix in his wrestling a little bit, using some fakes and feints to get Usman off of his game. And then that's when you see that Usman's striking has improved 
vastly. It's gotten a lot better. But when he's got combinations flying at him, when he's got combinations flying back at him, his defense and his head movement isn't really there. Usman keeps his head on the center line 90% of the time. And you saw that in this fight against Covington. Covington would be able to slip off center, straight left, right hook, right straight left, right uppercut, straight left, right uppercut, right hook, left body kick. You know, he hurt him with a body kick. He did get a takedown, I believe, in that fight. And I don't think they gave the points to Colby Covington for that takedown that he secured on Usman. He got his back. His knees touched the mat. That's a takedown. That's a takedown. And it's always debated of, oh, well, is this a takedown? Is it a takedown? It's a takedown. Colby Covington took down Usman in the rematch at UFC 268. I do believe that Usman probably should have got it, but I picked Covington. I thought Covington won that. I thought Covington edged it out. I thought he won the last three rounds. And I thought he did enough, but you know, when you get dropped early on, it can sometimes sway the judges. And even though it's supposed to be on a round by round basis, sometimes they can see big moments overriding the round by round basis logic that you're supposed to use to score an MMA fight and a championship fight, albeit that. So I think it could have been a draw, but I did slightly score it for Covington, but I'm not mad that Usman won. I already talked about that. I'm not mad. I don't think that it was a robbery. I don't think that, oh my God, he got robbed. No, absolutely not. It's the champion. You got to take it from the champion. And according to the judges, Covington didn't do enough to take it away from him. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, another fight of the year nominee is uh, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega from UFC 266. And let's be honest, although this fight was basically one-sided, you know, I think that Volkanovsky did almost all the damage on the feet, but Ortega had those two close submission attempts in the third round. And man, were they ever close. He... <laughs> He caught that body kick and, and knocked him off balance with a punch, jumped on him and locked in an arm in mounted guillotine. I mean, it looked like it was about to be over. Volkanovsky squirming, his head's turning red. He's squirming his way out. It looks like it's about to be over, and he finds a way to break the grip, shrimp back to half guard, and get out of it. And then in turn, there's another portion of the fight where Volkanovsky jumps into his guard and tries to work that ground and pound. And Vulcan and uh, Ortega throws up a lightning fast triangle. You know, they don't call him T-City for nothing. He locks in that triangle choke, turns the corner, gets the hook underneath the leg. It looks like it's about to be over. Volkanovsky steps over, um, steps his legs over the arms, pulls back to try to get his head out. It's not working. He finally breaks out. He gets into the guard, and he's hammering him with, with ground and pound, just hammering him with ground and pound. Almost finishes him at the end of the round, but they let him come out for the fourth. And then Volkanovsky, or I'm sorry, and then Ortega has a good fourth round where it looks like Ortega might be coming back. He's landed some good combos on the feet. Those long-range one-twos are getting starting to get Volkanovsky. Then Volkanovsky does enough to continue with those fakes and feints, those false starts, those combinations, you know, faking, you know, the the pendulum step towards one direction and then cutting back the other angle to have you walk away from what you think is the power, but really you're directing into where he wants you to go, which is the power that he set you up for a lot of traps that Volkanovsky was setting and just a phenomenal fight overall, a pretty easy to score fight. Like yes, Volkanovsky did win, but you cannot count out the heart of Brian Ortega. You can't count out how much heart he showed in that fight. And it was definitely one of the fights of the year. Up next, I've got TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Sandhagen as one of your fights of the year. Dillashaw's return fight. After being gone for two years, he looked great. You know, there was a point where he got dropped by Sandhagen. A lot of people believe Sandhagen did enough to win that fight three rounds to two. I believe so as well. I think that uh, Sandhagen should have got the nod. I think Dillashaw 
maybe he won, but like I feel like he should have lost that fight. It was very close, but I did score it three rounds to two for Corey Sandhagen. But none, you know, needless to say, and you know, nonetheless, that was one of the most technical and tactical fights, and one of the most beautiful displays of mixed martial arts and mixed martial arts striking and just the advancement of the game that we've ever seen. And, you know, the, the stance switches, the, the angles, you know, the stutter steps, Dillashaw shifting straight left combos, the shifting jabs, you know, shifting jab into the right hook, into the straight left, the right hand into the right high kick, you know, pushing him back and, and finding ways to duck under and get to the back control like Eljamain Sterling did where he submitted Corey Sandhagen at UFC 250. You know, there was so much going on in this fight. Dillashaw getting dropped by Sandhagen. Dillashaw popping his knee in the first round and getting injured and coming back to win the fight on the judges' scorecards and continue to fight for the next four rounds. I mean, it was a beautiful fight, one of the best fights you'll ever see. And although I did not agree with the decision, you can still not say you still cannot say that this wasn't one of the fights of the year. Beautiful fight, one of the best striking displays you'll see in mixed martial arts. Um, up next, you have to include it: Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. The War of Violence at UFC 268. I mean, we already talked about it. I don't really have much to say, but you have to include this on your fight of the year. And this is a lot of people's fights of fight of the year. 100%. A lot of people believe that Gaethje versus Chandler is your fight of the year. Um, I do have it as my runner-up. I definitely have it as my runner-up. Um, 100%. I think that um, the second place for fight of the year is Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler from UFC 268. And a lot of people are going to say, well, what is your number one fight of the year then? Why is it number two for you? How everybody else said this was the best fight of the year, opened up the card at UFC 268. It was a war. They both got hurt. They both got rocked. Chandler got dropped and came back. I understand. It was a great fight. Probably one of the most entertaining fights of the year. But, you know, I'm not all about entertainment. I'm also about entertainment, but technical chess matches. And my number one was one of the best striking displays between two of the most decorated mixed martial artists on the planet and two of the best Fighters at 135 pounds. My fight of the year for 2021 is Piotr Jan versus Corey Sandhagen for the interim UFC Bantamweight Championship at UFC 267. I mean, I'm surprised a lot of people don't have that as their fight of the year. I mean, it was back and forth. Yes, Jan was dominating, but early on, I mean, Sandhagen was doing a lot of work. He was cutting off Peter Jan. He was getting in the face. He was, he was controlling the lead hand and landing the combinations, ripping that shot to the body, avoiding the, the counters. You know, it was back and forth. It was angles and, and, and footworks and cut and footwork and cutting each other off. And Jan landing that beautiful rainbow uppercut up against the cage as Sandhagen was using the lateral movement. The, the way that Piotr Jan was able to track the lateral movement of Corey Sandhagen and be able to set traps and cut him off as the fight went on. That's something about Peter Jan that I love the most is he might start out a little bit slow, but he, he starts making reads. And once he makes those reads, it gets better for him and better for him and better for him and better for him. You know, the front kicks to the body, the one-twos to the body, the left shot to the body because of the high guard of Piotr Jan was working wonders for Corey Sandhagen. The shots to the body, the teep kicks, the knees to the body, front kicks, switch stances, straight left, right hook, you know, you know, all the combinations and the footwork and the stance switches and cutting each other off. It's one of the most technical and one of the best fights in the history of the UFC's bantamweight division. And in my opinion, Piotr Jan's victory over Corey Sandhagen to become the interim UFC bantamweight champion, even though in my opinion, he is the true UFC bantamweight champion, is your fight of the year. So your 2021 fight of the year is Piotr Jan versus Corey Sandhagen for the interim bantamweight championship at UFC 267.
All right. Up next, we've got the card of the year, which is an interesting one because, you know, there were a lot of really good cards this year. And, you know, sadly, I didn't include any fight nights because there were so many good pay-per-views towards the tail end of the year. I mean, it's kind of hard to not include the, those last three or four events of 2021. But my lists for the card of the year, the nominees are as follows. You've got UFC 266, Volkanovski versus Ortega with the return of Nick Diaz. Um, you know, Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler, that phenomenal main event between Volkanovski and Ortega. You know, and the the, the prelims, I mean, Dan Hooker versus Nasrat Hakparast and there was just so many good fights. You've got UFC 259, Adesanya versus Blahovich. Um, although some of the fights weren't the most entertaining, it was a stacked card. I mean, Blahovich versus Adesanya, Eljamain Sterling versus Piotr Jan, Dominic Cruz versus Casey Kenny, Alexander Rokic versus Tiago Santos. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, you know, Sean Brady versus Jake Matthews. It was a great card from top to bottom. The prelims, from the prelims to the main event, I mean, a phenomenally stacked card. You've got UFC 268, Usman versus Covington 2. We've talked about this card a lot. This could definitely be your card of the year for a lot of people. Usman versus Covington. Um, you know, Rose versus Whaley 2. Gaethje versus Chandler. I believe it also had uh, Shane Burgos versus Billy Quarantillo on the prelims, which was a phenomenal fight. The debut of Alex Pereira, where he knocked out Andres Mihalaitis. You know, I mean, a phenomenal card. I mean, let's look at the card right now. I mean, here, let's see. We'll start on the prelims. Uh, so the prelims, you've got Edmund Shabazian versus Nazardine Imovov. Chris Curtis beating Phil Hawes. Ally Quinta and Bobby Green. Andres Mihalidis versus Alex Pereira. The main card, I mean, Usman versus Covington. Nama Yunus versus Jean Wei Lee. Marlon Vera versus Frankie Edgar. Shane Burgos and Billy Quarantillo. And Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. Like, how could that not be included in your in your nominees for, you know, fight card of the year? And it was not just the fights. It was the finishes. I mean, a phenomenal main event. You know, Gaethje and Chandler going to war. You know, I mean, I guess it wasn't even the finishes, but the knockout of Alan, from Alex Pereira, the the... The gritty performance from Rose Namajunas to defend her title. The war with Gaethje and Chandler where they both got rocked. Chandler got dropped and came back and they had a beautiful third round. The low kicks, the combinations, the powerhouses. You know, it was it was absolutely amazing. And then you've got, um, like I said, UFC 261, Usman versus Masvidal 2. Um, the first card with fans back, it's definitely considered to be one of the best cards of the year. Probably most people's winner for uh, fight card of the year. And, um, you mean you look at that card, we can pull that up as well. Let's see. UFC 261. Let's see. We'll start on the prelims. I mean, you had Alex Oliver versus Randy Brown, Dwight Grant versus Stefan Sekulich, Brendan Allen versus Carl Roberson, Pat Sabatini versus Tristan Connolly. But the main card, Usman's knockout over Masvidal. Rose Namajunas' title-winning KO in the first round via head kick over Zhang Wei Li. Valentina Shevchenko's domination and ground-and-pound TKO from the Crucifix over Jessica Andrade. Uriah Hall's leg-check, leg-break TKO over Chris Weidman. And then Anthony Smith's knockout over Jimmy Crute. I mean, that was a great card, you know, back and forth, amazing card. And then UFC 269, I mean, Oliveira versus Poirier, the last pay-per-view of the year. I mean, just look at that card from top to bottom. We could start on the prelims because there was some amazing prelims there. 
You had Dan Ige versus Josh Emmett, Pedro Munoz versus Dominic Cruz, Taito Avasa and Augusto Sakai. And then you go to the main card. I mean, Oliveira versus Poirier, Nunes versus Pena, Jeff Neal and Ponza Nibio, you know, Kai Car France over Cody Garbrandt, Sean O'Malley, the Sugar Show, opening up with that KO over Howley and Paiva. I mean, come on, guys. Amazing cards. Really hard to pick a winner for card of the year. Um, but honestly and truly, um, ooh, it's hard. It's hard. Um, ooh, I'm going to go with the runner-up for card of the year being, oh, man. All right, runner-up for card of the year is UFC 261, Usman versus Masvidal 2. That's my runner-up. It should be number one because the fans, that was the first time the fans were back. It was a great card. Phenomenal card from top to bottom, um, like we already explained. But my number one card of the year, my card of the year, the winner for 2021 card of the year is UFC 268, Usman versus Covington 2. I mean, I just explained it. You know, you had Rose coming back and getting that decision victory over Zhang Weili in a back-and-forth fight. You had the the war between Usman and Covington where it looked like Usman was going to knock him out and dominate him early. And then he came back and he won the, the third and fourth, probably won the fifth in my opinion, but they gave the decision to Usman, but it was a great fight nonetheless. I mean, you had Billy Quarantillo and Shane Burgos to open up the main card. Phenomenal fight. They went back and forth. They beat the absolute living shit out of each other. That was a war for 15 minutes. You had... You know, Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler, which was the opener of the main card. And, I mean, that was one of a lot of people's fights of the year. I mean, what more is there to say about UFC 268? So that is my winner for the fight card of the year. 2021 fight card of the year, UFC 268, Usman versus Covington 2. All right. My next award is going to be the 2021 Coach of the Year. I have five nominees for this. And it's not like, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail with these, but I do think it's important to explain, you know, just give some nominees. Cause I think a lot of people know who my winner is going to be for coach of the year, but here are my nominees. I have Eugene Behrman out of city kickboxing. You know, he coaches Kaikar France. He coaches Dan Hooker. He coaches Israel Adesanya. He coaches Brad Riddell. You know, the, they had a, a rough year to say the least, but they did have some wins. I mean, Adesanya lost to um, Blahovich, but he came back and defeated Marvin Vittori. Dan Hooker went in against Islam Mahachev and lost. But prior to that, he had a, one of the best performances of his career against Arm or uh, against Nasrat Hakparast. You know, you had Kaikar France just defeating Cody Garbrandt in his flyweight debut with that beautiful knockout. You had Brad Riddell's amazing fights against. Uh, you know, Drew Dober at UFC 263, and then coming back and having that fight with uh, Rafael Faziv, which was back and forth a war. I mean, you can't say good enough good things about Eugene Behrman. And although they didn't all get wins this year, he definitely is one of the nominees for Coach of the Year. You have Rafael Cordero out of Kings MMA. I mean, you've got Benil Dariush, who just defeated Tony Ferguson in his last fight, and now he's going up against Islam Mahachev this upcoming year. If he defeats Islam Mahachev, Cordero could be considered coach of the year because of how highly touted, you know, Islam Mahachev is. You know, Habib 2.0, the next Khabib. That's what Islam is considered. And a lot of people, including Josh Thompson from the Weighing In podcast, who has been training partners with Khabib and 
Um, Islam out of American Kickboxing Academy says that he believes Islam is better than Khabib as an all-around fighter. I mean, there's other fights. He's got Giga Chikadze. Chikadze is going up against Kelvin Cater this upcoming weekend. He just had a knockout over Edson Barbosa. I mean, he's a, he's an amazing talent and an amazing coach, and all of his fighters have amazing success, especially recently. Uh, I have Khabib Nurmagomedov considered as one of your coaches of the year because I believe he's still undefeated as a coach. None of his fighters have lost yet. He's a phenomenal coach. He was undefeated as a fighter, and he's looking to be undefeated as a coach in the corner as well alongside Javier Mendez. So you have to include Khabib because, like I said, I believe none of his fighters have lost yet that he's been coaching in the corner. And then Eric Nixick from Extreme Couture. I mean, you have to include him on here. Eljamain Sterling won the bantamweight championship, albeit controversially, but you have to give the dude credit. You know, he's coaching a champion. He coaches Dan Ige. He coaches, uh, you know, Punahele Soriano. He coaches Francis Ngannou, the heavyweight champion of the world, who's got this big fight against Cyril Gunn coming up. I mean, he coaches, I mean, there's so many people that Eric Nixick coaches that I didn't even mention. I mean, he's worked with people out of the New England cartel, like Rob Font. Tyson Chartier, Calvin Cater, Jake Manini. They're not on his team, but he's worked with them, you know, and there's a lot. I think uh, Cody Garbrandt even went down and worked at, at Extreme Couture for a little bit alongside Coach Mark Henry, but Nick Sick has some of the best fighters and some of the most decorated fighters in all of MMA, considering that he's got the heavyweight champion and one of the most dangerous men on the planet who may not even be in the UFC after this fight with Cyril Gunn because he wants to test free agency, as according to a lot of people. So Eric Nixick is 100% considered to be one of the coaches of the year. I mean, there's nothing more to say about that. But in my opinion, the coach of the year for 2021 is the man who probably stays under the radar but has one of the smallest but most decorated teams in all of mixed martial arts, and that is Coach Trevor Whitman. He's got two champions, the welterweight champion of the world, Kamaru Usman, who uh, originally trained under Henry Hooft at uh, Sanford and Sanford MMA, but he worked, works with Trevor Whitman and he's looked better than ever in his career. Whitman is able to take people who aren't that great of strikers and make them look like some of the best strikers in the world. Good with the footwork, so good with the details and the timing and the movement and, and the little intricacies of the striking game and how it transitions over to MMA. He's one of the smartest minds and definitely the smartest minds in all of mixed martial arts as a coach. I truly believe Trevor Whitman is a evil genius and one of the smartest coaches in MMA. He's got Justin Gaethje, who, yes, he lost to Khabib, but before that, he had one of the best performances of his entire career. One of his best performances of his entire career at UFC 249 when he won the interim lightweight championship against Tony Ferguson. I mean, he had that amazing fight with Michael Chandler at UFC 268 and, you know, dropped him with that uppercut. He's turned Gaethje into one of the best strikers in the world, after he was originally a brawler and everything, he's become more technical. He's become better at switching his stances, better with his footwork and his movement. You know, he's been, he's been able to change these fighters. And Rose Namajunas, I mean, you know, we've heard that she's got some inner demons that she battles, that she sometimes has trouble with her confidence. But he's made her, who was originally a grappler at heart, one of the best strikers in all of women's MMA. You know, and coming off of that head kick KO over Wei Li Zhang. And then not only that, to come back and win a five-round decision over the former champion in Zhang Weili. And then those fights against uh, Yoanni and Jacek, where nobody believed that Rose Namajunas was going to win. I mean, Trevor Whitman and then Kamaru Usman. He's got the welterweight champion, Kamaru Usman, who's got three wins this year. Gilbert Burns, Jorge Masvidal, and Colby Covington. I mean, he doesn't miss. Trevor Whitman does not miss. And he does not have, I don't think any of his fighters had a loss this year. 
Usman, undefeated in 2021. Gaethje, undefeated in 2021. I mean, Rose Namajunas, undefeated in 2021. That's your coach of the year, and it's not even close. Trevor Whitman, with his team of champions and future champions, even though it's small, it's a small team, it's one of the best in the world. So your coach of the year for 2021 is Trevor Whitman. All right. And for the final award of the end of 2021 MMA Awards on the Touch Em Up podcast, what better way to end it than with the comeback of the year? I've got four nominees, and I'm not going to do the run. I'll do the runner-up for this one because there's only four. But here are my nominees for comeback of the year. I've got Clay Guida defeating Leon, Leonardo Santos via submission at UFC Fight Night Font versus Aldo. That was on December 4th. Um, you know, he was getting pieced up on the feet, almost finished multiple times by Santos, just getting dominated. Then Guida just tires him out, uses that forward, heavy pressure, heavy wrestling, heavy grappling style, outworks him, outpaces him, outpressures him, gets his back, lands some ground and pound, and locks up the rear naked choke and gets the submission over the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Huge comeback win for Clay Guida in a fight where he was getting dominated. Up next, I've got Charles Oliveira's comeback victory over Michael Chandler at UFC 262. Again, pretty dominant first round for Michael Chandler. A few leg kicks here and there for Charles Oliveira, but pushing forward, landing the right hand, landing the left hook, dropping him, jumping on him, almost getting the finish, trying to land some ground and pound, you know, letting him up. Defending the submissions, trying to land some ground and pound from the top. Dominant first round for Chandler. Almost got the finish. Like I said earlier, if he would have let him up at the at the towards the end of that first round, he probably would have got the KO and probably would have got the finish. And we'd have a completely different landscape for the UFC's lightweight division towards the end of the year. But then in the second round, they both threw right hands, both followed up with the left hooks. Oliveira's was shorter, crisper, and cleaner. It landed before Chandler could get there. Dropped Chandler. Chandler spun out of it. He ran after him. Right hand, left hook, one, two. Ran against the cage. Boom, landed a left hook, landed it again. Dropped him and got the TKO. Came back from adversity. Big thing for Oliveira, something that a lot of people believed he wasn't going to be able to do. And then um, for your runner-up, for comeback of the year, I'll do Anthony Hernandez versus Adolfo Vieira. I know we have some repeats here, but it's definitely, you know, warranted for me. So Anthony Hernandez gets dominated in the grappling by Adolfo Vieira for the entirety of the fight. Tires him out, lands some vicious punches on the feet, almost finishes him on the feet. But then, to add salt to the wound, submits the decorated Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt and multiple-time Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion, the man known as the black belt hunter in Adolfo Vieira, submits him via guillotine. One of the biggest betting upsets in the history of the UFC and definitely one of the biggest you know, upsets of that night and definitely a comeback victory. But my winner for the comeback of the year is one that we haven't, it's a fight we haven't mentioned yet. It's a fight that took place at UFC 266, I believe. Let me make sure before I make myself sound stupid. 
Let me see. I'm pretty sure it was 266. It has to be. Yep. It was Marab the Machine Devolishvili's TKO victory over Magic Marlon Marais at 4 minutes and 25 seconds of the second round. That is the comeback of the year for me. And here's why. Mar uh, Marlon Marais had, had been on a downward slope and a downward spiral prior to this fight. That's true. But in this fight, he looked great. I mean, he pushed forward. He hurt Mar uh, Marab with a beautiful left hook, right hand, boom, followed with the left hook, stunned him. He was wobbling all over the place, comes down, boom, 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 lands a left hook again, drops him. Looks like he's going to face plant, like he's almost out cold. Marab, or I'm sorry, Marlon Marais jumps on him. He's almost going to get the TKO. It looks like the ref's about to stop it. Marab's about to, Marab's able to spin out of it, use his wrestling, try to get into the clinch positions. You know, he gets out of that, boom, 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 gets hurt again. He got hurt like three or four times, I believe, in that first round. Somehow, he makes it out of it. He's able to push through. They don't call him the machine for nothing. This guy's cardio is unreal. He's able to find a way to get a takedown, get in the top position. He's landing beautiful ground and pound. He just get once he gets on top, he's landed just punch after punch after punch after punch and elbows and, and just trying to finish him off. He just cannot stop. The second round starts, Marais is winded. He is gassed. He's done. The second round starts, comes out, Marab pushes forward, boom, 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 lands a combination on the feet, takes him down, gets in the, the referee's position like amateur wrestling, gets that wrist lock. He's landing beautiful ground and pound, ground and pound, ground and pound, ground and pound, and the ref jumps in and stops the fight towards the end of that second round. But that is your comeback of the year, 100%. The comeback of the year, the 2021 comeback of the year is Marab Devalishvili's second round TKO victory over Magic Marlon Morice at UFC 266. And the runner up, I mean, I might have already mentioned it, but ooh, I think runner up for the for comeback of the year, I mean, it's hard to pick because all the nominees that I listed are definitely worthy of being, you know, a runner up. But I'm gonna go with Oh, man. I'll go with Charles Oliveira over Michael Chandler. I'll go with that one. I think that's your runner-up for comeback of the year because he almost got knocked out. It's a big story in, of Oliveira's career that once he gets hit with adversity, he can't come back. So you got to do it. So runner-up for 2021 comeback of the year is Charles Oliveira's second-round TKO victory for the, in, for the Undisputed Lightweight Championship against... Michael Chandler at UFC 262, but your 2021 comeback of the year winner is Marab Devalishvili's second round TKO victory over Magic Marlon Marais at UFC 266. All right, that's it, guys. That's it for the 2021 there the 2021 MMA Award Show for the Touch 'Em Up podcast. I hope you enjoyed the categories. I hope you enjoyed my nominees. I hope you enjoyed my explanation behind why I picked who I picked to be the winner, why I picked who I think should be the runner-up or what should be the runner-up. I think I hope I explained it well enough for you guys. Um, I had a blast making this show. I'm glad I'm back. I'm back with a vengeance. I'm going to have more interviews. I'll have the Cater versus Chikadze predictions coming up. Um, I'm going to try to get those recorded today if it's possible. So I have more stuff coming. I have more stuff in the works. I'm not going to stop, but I am back on the grind 100%. 
you know, all distractions are gone. And um, I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you guys continue to support this podcast. I know I've been gone for a while. I know I probably have no listeners for the last month because I've been out of, you know, out of commission. I haven't made any YouTube videos. I haven't made any podcast episodes. The last thing I made, I'm pretty sure, was the Corey Sandhagen and Peter Yan um, MMA breakdown, which was, it says a month ago. Yeah, the beginning of December. So that was the last thing that I made. And then the last podcast episode was the UFC 269 prediction. So definitely any way you can get this podcast out to your friends, your family, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your brother, your sister, your niece, your nephew, anybody you work with, a coworker, anybody who's a fan of mixed martial arts or professional wrestling, get this podcast out to anybody you can. It's available anywhere podcasts are distributed. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, Breaker, and many, many more. Um, I have interviews with some of the best fighters and best coaches in the world, including the Hickman brothers, Eric Nixick, Tyson Chartier, Safe Sayud, Daya Davis, Rob Font, Haider Hassan, Brendan Lockton, Clay Collard, um, Brittany Elkin. You know, you name it, I have interviews with some of the best coaches and best fighters in the entire world. Jake Manini, you know, I, I'm trying to get more and more as, as, as fast as I can, and I'm going to be on the grind better than, back with a vengeance and better than ever. So thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for helping this podcast grow. Thank you for continuing to support the show as much as you can. I'm back with a vengeance. I'm your host, Double M. This has been your end of 2021 MMA Awards, and I'm out. Have a good night, everybody, all right?